Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. We're going to do something a bit different on today's show. Now, of course, it's the off season. This is the one time in the tennis calendar you get to be creative. You get to explore things outside of the daily results we see, an overwhelming of re- number of results, if we're being honest, across levels in the tennis world. But off season is a time for reflection. And if you listen to our Cracked Interviews podcast, you know we are currently in the midst of a series we are calling our Power 5 Coaching Interviews, not very creative. Creative, I know, but we are trying to interview every men's and women's Power 5 college tennis coach before the start of the 2022 season. Of course, why do we want to do that? A, it's the best preview guide we could offer for all of you listeners, the chance to hear from these coaches directly, their reflections from 2021, how they build off of those seasons here in 2022. It's something we are very excited to continue to unroll for all of you listeners and release. Of course, if you've missed any of the episodes, you can find them all on the Cracked Interviews podcast, five on Monday, five on Wednesday, five on Friday, until we get through each and every coach. But of course, not only do we talk about the seasons, we talk about some of the big picture items in college tennis, things such as the scoring format. Have we settled on no ad? How do the coaches feel about that? Are there things we can do within the format to not only make it more entertaining, but of course, make it more compelling for not just the hardcore tennis fans, but for casual sporting fans? How do we incorporate those changes without sacrificing the developmental aspect of college tennis? These are the sorts of topics that are best are best sounded on from these head coaches who think about these things every day as it is part of their livelihood. And on today's show, we want to offer our opinions on those topics. We also want to offer some reflections on the Power 5 interviews we have done so far. Now, I would love to do that more in the future in 2022. It's something we are going to try to do, offer reflections from the interviews that we do. I know we like to crank out podcasts here at Crack Racket, so in order to help emphasize some of the key takeaways, we'll try to do more of that in 2022. But thankfully, we are blessed with a new contributor who is willing to listen to just about every Cracked Interviews podcast we put out. He is joining me on today's show to discuss some of the big picture college tennis items we are discussing in our Power 5 series. Of course, you know him best as a writer for our website, CrackedRackets.com, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog, of course, returning champion here to our Cracked Rackets shows. Is he a Stanford Cardinal? Is he a Virginia who sometimes, and I suppose always, You'll never know. I know him as my friend John Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Gruskin. I am 
super excited to be doing this with you. I feel like the Power Five uh, coaches interviews was a test of just how many podcasts can you get me to listen to. And thankfully for you, I have time off in December. I will be sitting on a beach listening to your voice chat through these topics. So I'm excited to share some early reflections from the interviews and also give some of my thoughts um, as I've been listening to these interviews and when I've been, been screaming into my phone. Um, so really excited to be doing this. Thanks for having well, me. Of course, always a pleasure. And you know, when we started this podcast, it was with the idea of providing Jay Beach Entertainment. I want you <laughs> listening to my voice when you're out there. So things are going according to plan. But yeah, look, to your point, Am I looking for things to fill December hours? Of course. I'm not just trying to see how many podcasts you'll listen to. I want to know how many podcasts all of our listeners will listen to. But it's also just – it's a sounding board. It really is a town hall style format or, you know, again, I'm trying to bring in as many of these players into our – coaches, excuse me, into our Crack Rackets town hall and ask them similar sets of questions. Now, have I asked some of the same questions 50 times at this point? Absolutely. And do I apologize to all of you listeners for some of the – Competitive jokes, points I make throughout the course of those podcasts, unequivocal apologies from me here. But I do think that's the best way to do it, right? Because all due respect to the ITA, which obviously is the governing body of college tennis. And when they make a rule change, it that rule change, I promise you, has been thoroughly vetted. If I've learned anything, Good luck getting 50% of coaches to agree on anything. Now, there's a lot of you know similarities in way coaches thinks about, think about things, but obviously any change you make to college tennis impacts every school differently. That said, it's really hard for them. What, are they going to do You know, a big town hall for all of the coaches to speak in? That would be a 25, you know, 24-hour affair where it's just 25 hours even. You couldn't do it all in one day if you wanted to provide them that platform. We have the month of December to do that. And so that that is the origins of this series, Jay. Well, it's it's couched as a, a pushing the Gruskin agenda, that's for sure. As you just plant <laughs> these seeds along the way with these coaches, I hear the excitement in your voice when they th- say, "Like I hadn't thought about that." You're like, yes, got one. Um, so I, I think the agenda is growing, um, and I'm excited to share some of my thoughts. No, Andy Jackson was like, where did this come from? And I said, the life of a 26 single male. Like, this is what I have time to think about nowadays. Um, But no, so with that in mind, let's start out. I wanted to offer you this platform as well because I am immensely grateful that you have listened to so many of these interviews and I have favorites. Of course I do. I'm still a human. Uh, That said – I have not had a single interview I've come out of yet, Jay, where I've been like, oh, that didn't go well. Like, oh, I really wish I could redo that. That coach was dull. That coach was boring. And that's a testament to the coaches we have across the nation right now. Sincerely, there's a reason they're leading Power 5 schools. There's a reason they're in charge of these massive budgets. And it's because they've earned it. The charisma, the intelligence, the passion they put towards college tennis. It's been remarkable. It's been my number one takeaway with that in mind, you've offered, you've got five takeaways for us from the Power 5 series, 5-5-5. Five, 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 that's what it's all about. We all remember Michael Jordan's double nickel at the Garden. This is your double nickel on the Great Shot podcast. Give me the five takeaways. Well, you stole my number one, um, and it was a <laughs> nod to just the, the thoughtfulness and the forward thinking that we have in college coaches. And it's very clear, right, the, the diverse perspectives, um, the diverse backgrounds, personalities that those all come out in the uh, in the podcast but as do kind of the respect that they have for the game the passion that they have for the game um 
and it's it's reassuring to know that these are things that that they're thinking about and um so that was my number one takeaway is just the quality of the college coaches um and you know it's great to hear voices that i personally haven't been hearing before i'm sure many fans many future players uh haven't heard as well and so to hear those perspectives it has been great um so that was by far the biggest takeaway and the thing that came through very loud and clear and just to add on to that, you know, because a lot of these coaches, as you mentioned, different backgrounds, what's been super encouraging, A, so many of them have backgrounds playing college tennis, whether it's yeah. former All-Americans or, you know, and in particular in the past, you know, this century, like in the past two decades, their college careers are not that far removed. And it does feel like there's a new young group of, you know, former college standouts. You think of people like Bobby Reynolds at Auburn. You think of someone like Audra Cohen at Oklahoma. And obviously those are two of the most most prominent examples, but across the country now, we see that connective thread from player to coach. And I do think the ability for these coaches to empathize, sympathize, and also identify with these players, that has what led to the increase in quality of play. That has what has also led to the increase of quality of player electing to choose to play college tennis. And to a T now, this is something I've been asking the difference between 1980s, 1990s college tennis and now, mm-hmm. and close followers of the sport will know this, it's not the skill at the top. The best teams have always been awesome. Yeah. It's the depth. Team four, ranked number 40 now beats the 1982 team ranked number 40, 7-0 in about an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. And, that, and with that depth comes – Again, increased difficulty on the recruiting circuit. And just like all of these coaches I talked to, they'd be like, I'd play for you. I'd play for you. I'd play for you. Like it's it's remarkable. And then the the last component of this, and I promise these are your takeaways, not mine, but I'll throw some in here, has also been even the tenured coaches, the Steve Dentons of the world, the Andy Jacksons of the world, the Jamie Ashworths of the world. Todd Petty's not quite there, but almost getting there. It feels like there. Oh, Jeff Wallace would be another great example. Mm. Feels like there's a renewed energy amongst that group, and I'm not saying they were ever stale or stagnant because those. There's a reason that group in particular has been the best of the best for so long and have had this staying power at the top of college tennis. But it feels like some of the adjustments, whether it be the rise of the transfer portal, which we'll talk about a little bit later, or just the increasing of fall duels and just some of the different, you know, no ad scoring that. They seem it, – it seemed to have been – you know, it's a new job to them now and there are yeah. adjustments coming. And that just – again, when you have the tenure and the experience and the skill of these veteran coaches with the hunger and the energy of these young coaches, that's why it just feels like we're in a moment right now in college tennis. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think obviously you know the, the Audra Cohens, the Bobby Rounds of the Worlds, whose playing careers we actually saw mm-hmm. – um, but I was most taken by the, the the tenured coaches and how willing they were to adopt and think about the game differently. And there were oftentimes I'd have to go and look up and be like, wait, how old is this person? Like they've been in this game 30 years. Are you kidding me? Like they are, are talking about it like they're, you know, a, a, a fresh lens or a fresh perspective. And to be honest, I mean, you, if you just take a step back and we're all college sports fans, I would say generally the landscape is just dramatically shifting. You look at college football, it's like a whole new game than it was 30 years ago. And you look at these things like today's signing day, you just look at the way that the game has evolved and all these other factors that are contributing, some of which have trickled down into college tennis, which we'll talk about. But it's a testament to you have to adapt 
right? And you have to adapt and you have to change. I think as an aside, that's one of the um, tough parts about tennis is how willing is the game and the sport just writ large willing to take on some of these adapt uh, willingness to adapt. So overall, I think top to bottom, regardless of your age or your tenure as a coach, like there's just so much passion. There's so much fresh perspective. Um, and, and it's just great to see. Do you think if Brad Dancer, <clears throat> excuse me, walks into a bar right now, Illinois men's tennis coach Brad Dancer, with a hat on that he'd get ID'd? Because he's kind of got a 21-year-old's energy, right? Where you're just like, I'm not sure. Well, if he gives them the, let me tell you about cumulative scoring, <laughs> they might think he's 18. Um, so he might get carded. Um, but a great example of someone who throwing out yeah. some crazy stuff, um, which which is, is great. And that's what uh, we need. You should. I, the other thing, and Patreon subscribers can watch all of these interviews on video. That's something we're really excited to be presenting to them as well. And, of course, you can find out how to become a Patreon subscriber on our Crack Rackets website. Seeing the faces some of these coaches make at different ideas, like you can tell right away when the ones are like, now you're talking my language. You can also see sometimes they're like, all right, like let's not get too gimmicky here. Right. Um, but all right, with all that said, that's takeaway number one. Yep. Run me down the rest of the list. All right, and these kind of span the spectrum. Some are more meta takeaways, some are a little bit more granular. My next takeaway was on NIL. And I thought what was interesting on NIL is the range in how much thought the coaches had given it. To be honest, I was surprised there were some coaches who it hasn't been a factor, right? And I'm not sure have given it uh, a ton of thought. They've talked about how it hasn't come up with recruits. Um, but on the flip side, the, the the thread line I identified was the coaches who have maybe spent the most time thinking about it are not the coaches you might think. And what I thought is it's much more about NIL for like your local communities, right? It's much more this uh, idea of where the school is the thing in town, right? Maybe it's a state with no professional sports like Idaho. Um, maybe it's a town like Lubbock, Texas, where Texas Tech is, that's the thing, Right. It felt like those coaches who were thinking about it much more on a local level than maybe traditionally thought about this as like big brand deals and you need to have a lot of followers to make an impact. Um, that seemed to be kind of where the sweet spot was. And when I was thinking about NIL when this first launched, I think that's where it's going to be really prominent for college tennis, right? Where is, you know, the if you're Alexa Noel and you're number three in the country, you're a local celebrity, right? Mm -hmm. If you're in L.A., I don't know if that's the same case. So um, that was a really interesting uh, thought on NIL in terms of like where the coaches had seemed to be falling. I hate to keep pointing back to this example. It's just the one I know best. Brad Dancer and Champagne is just tailor-made for NIL because mm -hmm. it's a community that has embraced men's tennis particularly. And yeah, there's Chicago up the, you know, but it's th two hours, three hours away. Yeah. And that's a tennis community that will embrace those athletes. And like, yep. again, he is someone who thinks about those sorts of things. And you're right. I, it's the college-based camp or it's the college-based communities where it's just like, that's what we have. And yep. that's been my takeaway as well. That said, the other takeaway on NIL for me is how much unknown there is. Like, I think a lot of these coaches, part of the reason they don't think about it yet is because their athletic departments have said look it doesn't matter if you think about it we can't do it yet like we don't know what rules govern us we're not getting in trouble at the expense of tennis especially and i'm not trying to be rude but i just assume that's the thought process yep. and so i think it's also my other takeaway is how much is unknown like 
I agree. You would have thought it would have been super aggressive right away. I think a lot of these coaches just aren't allowed to be yet. Yeah, and that's and that's fair. Um, I just thought like the 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 tentacles of the local community, I think, is you know, is good to see, right? It's not gonna be all these mm-hmm. like McDonald's and Gatorade deals. Uh, it is gonna be those relationships, which I think are gonna benefit tennis right if they are invested in players um it's gonna and- be jay's sandwich shop on main <laughs> street that's like we love our tennis players come on in yeah exactly um and that's just gonna create a nice flywheel of you know more community being like wait you sponsor the tennis team oh i i haven't been to a tennis match like maybe i should go out to one um so i think the coaches who are going to be best suited for it and again i know there's a lot of like state restrictions and varies by school but just are the ones that have already started to plant the seeds of building the community relations. Um, if someone, <clears throat> sorry, is, is smarter than me, I know I'm giving away a free idea here. If you want help coordinating this, I think I'm the guy to help. You create the app that can locate every tennis facility, every you know local group and local whatever it be teaching program within a 20-mile radius of your school. And you go, if you're a head coach, to each of those communities and you say, look – do you want a college kid hitting in your group once a week? All you have to do is pay him X dollars. It's cost less than bringing in a full pro, and it's going to bring people to your clinic. And to yep. me, that's the gateway for NIL and tennis is just getting – and that's the gateway to building the college tennis community more broadly. Yep. Get these college players in front of younger players who will see them, aspire to be them, and be like, Mom, can we go to this match, which, by the way, is fewer than 20 miles away. And it's just like to me, that's, that's, the, that's the key. Yep. It's, it's going to be those camps, those schools, exactly. um, right. Getting out there. You're so right about getting kids who maybe aren't even involved in tennis or, or involved in tennis and want to now go to every X schools match and, and watch the players. Right. So I think that's, I mean, it, it gets into this larger theme around college tennis of just building those community roots. And I think what is tough, and I think I've heard other coaches, not in this particular series, talk about it is just the growing demands of a head coach, right? And like, we'll talk about this as we talk about the transfers, but just the the, the demands of a college coach are now 10x of coaching on the court, right? And you become a marketer and you become, you know, a, a community figure who's expected to do all of this uh, legwork. So I recognize that this is much easier said than done. Um, But I think it'll be really interesting to see how it plays out. I also think, look, for the longest time it was, yeah, we'd love to get the college kids out there, but they're not going to do it because it's a time commitment. And what's the cost benefit analysis for them? Well, now it's literally like you can get paid, like you can be paid to do this. There's no excuse any longer. Yep. Obviously, if you have the community to do it, it's possible to execute. But all right, that's takeaway number two. Hit me with number three. So number three, um, you know, I think a lot of these format changes that we'll talk about are fun. They're interesting. uh, But to be honest, they're changes on the margins, in my opinion. And I think there's a larger question at play here around who owns the marketing of college tennis. And I think that was a through line for me in listening to these conversations, because I think one of the main tensions that exists right now within college tennis is that the NCAA owns the crown jewel right they own the individual tournament and they own the team tournament and guess who's not investing in marketing college tennis the ncaa and so one of my kind of big takeaways is as we were as i listened to these ideas is filtering through like is this going to make a 10x impact on on college tennis or is this kind of going to be make it you know 
a few percentage points more enjoyable for the average fan. Um, and so I think it's it's I think it's a question that we need to to challenge ourselves with and, and identify who owns that relationship. Like who is the one making the call to the ATP to the WTA and be like, did you see what Cam Nori did? Like, let's work together. Um, and so I think that that's a challenge uh, and one that needs to be figured out well beyond some of the, the format changes, because at the end of the day, the product is good, right? The product is already good, and these changes are incremental. And I think we need to think about like some of those um, step change, and I think that comes from a marketing perspective. It's very true. What another thing I've learned the more I've gone on is you don't want to push too much, though, if you're college tennis. And you're right. I have felt a little gimmicky at times talking about some of the things where it's like, yeah, these change, but not really. But it's just, look, someone has talked about you know the simultaneous start, which we'll talk about a bit more later. But it's like if you give up a flight, that's one less thing you're able to do that the NCAA says, all right, that's one less thing we're allowing you to do. Do you really want to give up a full singles match? Do you really want to give up the three doubles matches? And just Because once the NCAA takes them away, they're not giving them back. And it's just that to me, that aspect of it where it's like, look, as much as we love the ITA, some of it are NCAA edicts where it's just like the coaches know we can only do so much. Like they're not going to make categorical change on behalf of tennis. And that has been fair. You know, I think that loops into your your point as well. Well, that's where, that's where I think I would challenge you a little bit on yes. like uh, the product today. Let's put aside the format changes do you think that the, the format changes are necessary for the growth of the sport? I would posit that there is a lot of growth that can be done with the format and the product that we have today from a market, from a pure marketing perspective. I think it's the relationships with these entities. I think it's the, the phone calls. You know, I, I'm not sure that these things that you call gimmicks, while fun to discuss and like could make progress uh, on growing the sport, it's not an either or situation to me. It's an and, and I just feel like that part, that part of the equation of, you know, elevating the players, creating stars within the sport. I just don't feel like that part is there. And in absence of the NCAA not being incentivized to do it, who does it? No, it's a very good point. And Coach Schachterly in our discussion with him, the Pepperdine men's tennis head coach, emphasized that as well and talked yep. about his desires for a, t- a bigger tie-in between pro tennis, ITA, junior ranks. The question is, who does it? Because there are millions of competing interests in tennis. There are various federations. There are various tournament hosts. And there isn't a connective thread at the professional level. You want to try and create a connective thread from the pros to college tennis. It's much easier said and done in theory. Now, to your point, is there a marketing component there that's untapped? Absolutely. Like, absolutely. The real thing about the format change is to grow the sport, do you have to get it on TV more? And in order to get it on TV more, does that product have to be two to three hours? That is a fundamental question that will you will just have polarized answers to. And I wish I had more data at my hand to say, look, this is how long uh, a college tennis match retains a viewer for. This is how long they stay tuned in on TV. Without sans those metrics, it's really hard to make a quantitative argument. Qualitatively yeah. – it resonates like it does resonate. Yeah, uh, I'm laughing because in my notes I have I, this takeaway is the chicken or the egg. Uh, yeah, exactly. And the reason I think if we get caught up in this like, well, if we want to be on TV, we need to change the format. Well, we can't change the format, so then we're not going to be on TV. And I would just challenge us to think about like 
there could be really exciting format changes. There can also be a ton of progress with the current format. Like yeah. you just can't convince me that cornhole or pickleball or some of these other things are like that much more exciting and are like that much more primed for TV uh, or even just, just more tie-ins with professional tournaments and wild cards, right? More visibility of these college players across uh, across the country, across across the globe. So, I would. It's not. I don't think it needs to be a chicken or the egg. And I think at times that's how we, it gets framed. And I think it, it stops us from considering some of the more bigger picture. As we say in my culture, Dainu, my friend. All right. <clears throat> with that said, let's get to number four. Okay. Number four is another kind of meta one. I think uh, with a lot of these uh, format changes, I, I would love your thoughts on this because I think for me, one of the one of the takeaways here is one of the biggest challenges with watching a college tennis match is an underappreciation of the momentum shifts that are happening for the average fan. And I think we've all been at college tennis matches where we all know hey, the breaker on court five is really going to determine this match. I don't know why we're all sitting here watching a court one blowout. Like, let's move. That is so lost on the average fan. And I think one of the ways, and I'd love to, like a brainstorm off mic maybe about this, of just like, what are the ways to capture those momentum shifts? Because I think you have two options. One you need a better way to highlight those momentum shifts to the average fan who one might already be confused by tennis scoring and two multiplied by six definitely don't understand the momentum shifts or, and some, I think some of the format changes get at this, you make the need to be able to track those momentum shifts less, right? Like there's less of a demand to need to do that. So that was one of my other big takeaways of just how do we capture the back and forth momentum or minimize the need to have this like 3d vision of of the tennis match and you're watching and you're moving between all the way from courts one to six yeah from a broadcast perspective that was the theme behind our red zone obviously yeah. is to try and be like we're on break points we're on set points we're on match points and yeah i joke about my order of operations i think that's how you do it from a broadcasting perspective and yeah. Again, on that broadcasting note, stay tuned. Hopefully, we'll have some cool things in the works here for 2022. In person, I mean, we've talked about it before. If you're building an indoor facility, please don't do three on one side, three on the other. Like, the 90 feet more left couldn't be more than the 90 feet more north. So, you know, I don't know why I went left and north there. You guys get what I'm saying. Point being, yeah. six across always helps. Um, but you're, I, that's just a fundamental problem for college tennis. It's like, look, if we're going to play six singles matches, there are six things happening at once right. always. Yeah. So I think, I mean, that was my attempt at distilling like the problem to solve, which is really around like capturing these momentum shifts. So simultaneous starts again, five courts, we'll you start there. out with fewer right away. I mean, yeah. yeah, we'll get back to it. All right. With yeah. that, give me well, the last final one. one. Um, so you didn't ask about this on like all oh, of and them. By the way, I'm going to ask, and I love you, ITA, but I want to hear these coaches' thoughts. And by the way, I think the ITA should want to hear these coaches' thoughts on this as well. I'm going to ask if college tennis has a marketing problem. I'm doing that down the home stretch. That's my promise to you, Jay. Okay. I wrote it in my notes. Okay. Um, well, so this is one you didn't ask as much about, but because I wrote a full article on it on my blog. <laughs> I'm going to the notes. Hold on. Go ahead. Uh, no ad, no problem. Um you know, you ask about whether the non-Americans should get a U.S. Open wild card. I think this is, I mean, I'm completely in favor of winner, regardless of nationality, 
getting the wild card. My takeaway was the range of opinions from coaches on yes or no, ex- like expanded by the fact that it was surprising to me. Um, one, that there was a split, and two, who actually was split, whether they were like American born, whether they're uh, foreign, whether they're American you know, citizens now, um, really diverse opinions um, and I was not expecting. I was expecting somewhat more uniform um, support for that move. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I ha- I've gotten away from that question. I asked it today to Andy Jackson and he had a fantastic thought on it. And I'm going to get back to asking that question. And for listeners who are curious, tomorrow's schedule for me from a recording spe- perspective, it goes – do I give away the ball game here? Yeah, might as well. well you'll, you'll hear this on Thursday. You're not going to hear these podcasts all right away, but I go uh, noon, Paul Goldstein, one thirty mm. George Husak, 3 p.m., Gene Orlando, 4.30, Jeff Wishner, 6 o'clock, Ryan Stotland. I'm going to work these in to all of them because I agree with you. I, I think the wild card component brings – is how I'm going to fold into the marketing component. Exactly. Because it, that's the bridge. You're right. And I, I, And Coach like, Jackson got into that today. Yeah, it's it's exactly the marketing thing, and right, and like selfishly, why would you ever say no? Like, wouldn't you be trying to beat the drum? And even if you think the USTA doesn't have like a national responsibility, like, wouldn't you be like, yes, absolutely, and just hope you can get it? Um, anyways, um, so those were my five, um, some some meta ones, some granular ones, and I have some some takes on all these format changes. But um, no, that that was fantastic, and I want to talk about the format changes. I will ask you, since mm-hmm. I won't get in trouble for this, yeah. three favorite thus far? Um, we'll do your five. At the end, we're going to give you uh, – you're going to give the top five. At the end, I'm going to give the top five. Um, and include so, Schachterly because he deserves some love. That was a great interview. He's in the top five. He's in the top five already. Um, I'll do a top three. Schachterly's in there. One, because I think he just nailed this idea of, of marketing. Yeah. Um, Two, I think I mentioned this on one of the other pods, but um, the Iowa podcast was great. Um, that was like an emotional arc for sure. Um, so that's that's a must listen for me, and it's great to have um, the the assistant as well. Um, and shout then number Danny Leitner. shout out. Um, he gave me a shout out. Um, so so I guess if you shout me out, I'm gonna put you in my top five. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then yeah. It's a, probably a tie right now between Goffy and Dancer. Um, Goffy because of his uh, innovative flipping of, of, of the season. So that was obviously uh, new. And then, I mean, Dancer as well with some of his uh, things that he threw out around like cumulative scoring. Uh, and obviously you and Dancer um, have built a good relationship. So that was a fun one as well. Yeah, there have been some excellent conversations. You're right. In terms of moments, that have stood out when Josh Goffey said play the team season in the fall. I mean, you could hear it on the podcast. Mic drop moment. I was just like, whoa, whoa. I was like, yeah. hold on. We got to unpack that a little bit further because now we're talking my language. Yeah. And that was a moment. But more importantly, again, the passion from all of these coaches, their willingness to do this almost to a T. It's always thank you for what you're doing to college tennis, to which I always say thank you for tolerating my nonsense to all of you coaches. At this point, should I someday get married and there's like a you know a bachelor party? I, like I might have to politically pick some coaches and be like, you probably have to be there. But if I invite you, can I invite <laughs> you? And I don't know, but like you're gonna be a good time at a bachelor party, so maybe I do want you. Um, 
Anyways, yes, I'm immensely grateful to all of them. And if you've missed any of the episodes, five a day on Monday, five on Wednesday, five on Friday, you can catch them all on the Cracked Interviews podcast. You can catch them all on our website, CrackedRackets.com as well. I'm trying to get as many recorded in this week, Jay. So I'm headed to Florida to hang out with my family down the home stretch of the year. So I don't have to be recording with them. I've already told them like, hey – I'm going to sacrifice two days to the gods, and I apologize to you. But, like, you should be proud that you have a son who has to work through the holiday break, right? Like, isn't this what you want? his hobby. That's his hobby? His profession? (laughs) Yeah, his profession. Sorry. No, it's okay. I, uh, first of all, if my brother wants— I'm following his passion. Yeah, no, no, no. That was great, though. Um, anyways, I, Jay, if you ever worry about my doubt of love for you, you never have to. Don't worry. Yeah, there's nothing you could say here. I was— okay. You want to go off script for a hot second? Sure. <laughs> I was scroll. <laughs> All right, whatever. Earmuffs, mom. I was scrolling on Hinge, and because you know I'm still a guy, like I still do have a life. Um, I don't know why I felt the need to cap. That was literally for my mom. Um, and so I, this, you know, you match on yeah. social and whatever, and you know she sends me the first message, and her first message is, "What could a girl say to you that would unequivocally piss you off?" And I was like, what a question. That's a great I was question. like, as a podcast host, I'm going to steal this. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, man, what a question. And, like, I mean, we're not going to answer that question here. I'm not going to tell you what okay. you could ask me. Okay. Well, the truth is, it takes a lot to piss me. I mean, look, there are some obvious things we're all thinking about. Like, yeah, that would piss any guy off, of course. Although I feel pretty confident about most things about me. But the point being, like, yeah, okay, stuff is going to be like, like you're just gonna feel bummed if you're like yeah no bueno like that would make me upset no matter i think that would make anyone jake as much as confident as you could be like oh that sucks to hear um but like i'm trying to think like what could you say to piss me off i mean here's the thing politics wise you know that's my bread and butter so even if you are the outlier of my opinion i still like hearing those opinions and discussing so like it's not that right even if it was like an inflammatory take yeah. it would be like ooh. i mean bigotry i'll just be like sure. you're an idiot like yeah. obviously that's unacceptable but i don't think that pisses just me off uniquely i don't think that was the theme and the spirit of the question um is there something you could think of right away like someone something could say to you that would unequivocally piss you off what if they said to me like <laughs> I mean I would laugh though if it was like yeah Virginia 13 sucked like he didn't hit the net I'd just be like you're wrong <laughs> um oh you could go that angle um I know it was a good question it's like it's a really good question I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of like a tennis one oh I get I mean I get heated about the whole no ad stuff I just like the <laughs> that that really does get me um just how we hold this ad versus no ad is so sank sacrosanct is just mind-blowing to me but um yeah if piss off and set off i think are different questions like if mm. you would like to set me off <laughs> i won't do it here but just bring up kevin mccarthy i've got a good 12 minutes on kevin mccarthy ask my dad um anyways um yeah i was, I was just like i don't know like is there anything in particular? Like, I don't know. It was a good, it was a great question. Good question. Point being. Yeah, so. I, I hope you two are continuing to chat. <laughs> we'll do an update on next week's show. <laughs> Keep me um, posted. All right. 
with that said, that was a good reset. We've taken the break. Hopefully you enjoyed that. What is the thing someone could tell you that would piss you? Actually, at Great Shot Pod, at J Tweets Tennis, what is the tennis-related thing someone could ask you or say to you that would just unequivocally set you off? I guess for me it would be that it wasn't a big four because I would say oh. it was a big four. It is not a system. Okay, there it is. That's the answer. I should have answered. The problem is I can't answer that on Hinge because then it's like, oh, you're one of those She's going to find out eventually. Oh, you know, <laughs> uh, for years. I mean, it's like, what do you do? And it's like, well, I like politics. I like tennis. It's like, all right. <laughs> like that. That's that's not a, that's not what happens exactly every time when uh, you say those two. Although, you know, it can be funny. Anyways, I'm, do you want to hear my defense of my dating game? Do you want to hear that right now? What defense? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Hey, no comment. Um, all right. With that said, let's talk about the format changes. And again, I talk about these with all these Power 5 tennis coaches. I try not to share my opinion too clearly on those pods. Some of them, they sneak out. The The perspective I try to – well, so what am I going to say? I don't – I love the 500 rule. You know, like I try to just do it in the most energetic way possible to be like, this could be a good idea, right? Even if I don't necessarily believe in it, I try to sell it. I think but you're a chameleon. Without question, you have yeah. no. I don't know what I even think anymore. Well, right. <laughs> again, except for about Kevin McCarthy, that's sure. about it. Um, all right. With that said, let's start. Oh, do I want? Yeah, we just had some fun, so let's go back to the serious transfers. Uh, to me, that has been one of the most revealing things, and almost to a T, every coach will say, "Well, that is the question right now." Yep. Where are you on the abundance? Uh, you know, the plethora of transfers, the the rise of the transfer portal. Yeah, so uh, let me caveat kind of some of these answers as we move into this section. The first is, you know, I like to hold opinions strongly or have have strong opinions, hold them loosely. Uh, and so that's kind of been my motto here. And look, when they moved to NOAD, I was furious. When they reduced the eight-game pro set down to six sets, furious. Do you remember I, the Colette movement with Mitchell Frank and all of those players? Totally. Yeah, yeah, that was like one of the formative young yeah. experiences for me. 100%. Um, you know, I, I, I thought this was a degradation of the game. And I think uh, reflecting on it, I think it was a little bit of pride. It was like, mm-hmm. yeah, the matches are four and a half hours. You know who's going to be there? This guy. Um, <laughs> but the reason, and, and so the reason I, I titled my, my blog, No Ad, No Problem, is because at the end of the day, I think no ad has been great for college tennis. I absolutely love it in the format. And I think that was one of the formative things to change, to make me a little bit more open to some of these changes. Um, Because I realized that some of these things don't need to be held so sacrosanct. Uh, And so I caveat all of this to say, my opinions can change dramatically. I have kind of set into some takes here as I've listened to you kind of go through the rodeo with the coaches. Um, But we'll start with the transfers. And I also try and take more of a of a fan lens on these because I think the coaches are clearly biased. Um, <laughs> so transfers, you know, you want to talk about match calculus? I mean, how about scholarship calculus with these transfers and the extra year? I mean, I my made a back joke. half joke. I apologize to interject. My back half joke now is: When did you realize you were a mathematician? I've asked like six <laughs> coaches that nowadays. You'll hear those in these new interviews. Well, that's what I, that was basically my joke is like these coaches need a scholarship analyst, <laughs> right? Bring in some comp sci econ math major to be like, look, here's what we're working with. Work with compliance. <laughs> figure out how I stretch this stuff. There are a lot of things you can be doing. Figure it out. Um, 
So I'll, I'll say this. I mean, I think, do I get less enjoyment from seeing kind of like a team made up a hodgepodge team of transfers who all transfer in? Yeah, I think it's not as fun. Uh, it's much more fun to see the development. You look at like an NC State women's program to see those fifth years kind of have that run. That's really cool. To me, that's more special than kind of like bringing in these transfers, particularly when, you know, you have a, a large portion of them contributing to your lineup. But what I will say is I think it's added a fun dynamic from a fan experience to have this element of it's like fantasy trades, right? It's hyped up matches, right? You look at the big nail transfer and people starting to count, you know, March, March 13th, right on their calendar, Florida versus Tennessee. It creates a fun element. I do agree with you. It destigmatizes transfers, which is great. Um, and so overall, I think we're in a unique period right now. I expect this to kind of, uh, die down a little bit once the extra year goes away obviously transfers will be more destigmatized we'll probably see an increase of it um moving forward just because of that but i think we just enjoy the period we're in now excited for the opportunities these kids are getting um and just celebrate that we're not the ones who have to figure out the scholarships coach cohen of oklahoma who you'll hear from probably friday if not monday uh, she made the point that if you look at the statistics, and when she says it, I believe her, that transfers have always been higher in college tennis than they have been in other college sports, and that, hmm. yes, there has been an uptick given the just plethora of players, but that yeah. the uptick compared to other sports is actually constant. So it may feel more pressing in college tennis. It's actually not that different than it's ever been. It's just more pronounced because yeah. of there are more players. Yep. That said— I mean, there's no doubt, like, some coaches are pissed off because it makes you work harder. Like, for sure, and justifiably. It's like, hey, nowadays, not only are you working to figure out who am I adding to your roster, I don't, I forget which coach said this, but they go, now you have to make sure you can keep your players. And, like, yeah, it was recruiting that, my own roster. I forget who said that. Yeah, but you know, you listened. Yeah. yeah, you can all find it as well. And just like, that's a fair point. And yeah. other coaches have pointed out, might have been Manny. Was it Manny? I don't want to just say it was Manny. It, it was someone. Manny. Um, but, it could have been Manny, but it wasn't. that's not what I'm yeah. saying. But it was also you know, pointing out the fact that, look, dealing with adversity, not playing your freshman year, you know, that pisses you off. I didn't play my freshman year of high school. I lost like 22 pounds in the summer. I also got taller, all these different things. I got in much better shape, and like I played much more my sophomore year. It motivated me. I was like, get your act together. And – there's no doubt that with the plethora and the destigmatization of, of, of transferring that you can just be like, eh, this isn't working for me. I'm going to go elsewhere. And you don't want to lose that adversity that the players have to deal with. And that was actually a, you know, a point that obviously that's a pro coaching point, and that's where the bias comes in. But it's a good point. Like you, would, you come to college tennis to deal with the adversity, to grow as a person, as a player, all of these different things. Transfer portal gives you an exit route. Like it does give you that exit valve, and that is something to you have to juxtapose with the de with destigmatizing it. Yeah, I mean, some of those takes feel a little uh, uh, get off my lawn. -ish. Yeah, like generationalist. Um, sure. Like, oh, you guys are taking the easy way out. Look, there there are hardships in transferring as well. There is adversity sure. that comes with transferring. Um, I understand why this is a challenge for coaches, right? We've talked about that. Um, I think on the whole, we're optimizing for player experience. And look, if a player wants to transfer, you know, 
that's on them. Um, and it might be a mistake, right? They might transfer and they realize that's a mistake and that's a learning lesson for that player as well. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, it's not going away. Like there's right. no doubt about yeah. that. And so, uh, it is a fascinating thing for us to all monitor, but all right, that's transfers. Let's yep. move on to our next one. I'm trying to think. I'm trying to go in order. All right, let's go roll of the fall next. We'll get the serious uh, out of the way the before we can get to the fun stuff. Yep. Give me your takeaways. All right. So current situation for the NCAA championships is just not tenable, right? Anyone who has attended the, the team event and then thought it was a good idea to stay for the individuals made a mistake. <laughs> I, I've made that mistake it is just a lifeless event on the heels of the team tournament that really does just a disservice to players at competing for a national title. So that first and foremost, we need to figure out a, a better avenue, but the current fall, right. And the, and juxtapose like the current fall feels purposeless, right? You look at this past fall, it was kind of this hodgepodge of events. And I think particularly after COVID, it was just unclear what we were really doing I'm now fully on board with the fall individual season, if nothing else, to avoid these hidden duels. I hate these hidden duels, and I will tell you why. I like so, it. I, I don't really understand why we are so excited. I mean, I get I get it from the coach's angle, but there's nothing to be excited about for these subpar versions of the main product. And so, one, I don't think it's tenable for like a year-long hidden like or hit year-long dual season that half of it doesn't have any impact or any teeth the second is they're not marketed well nor do they really make sense to the average fan right like oh we're playing singles against this team and then we're switching and playing doubles against that that team wait so i'm just like watching a practice scrimmage like what are we doing here uh you know players don't take them currently i don't think as seriously you often see many players missing and I think one of the questions that comes up in the coach's interview is like, what is the point of the, the, the fall season? And they often say, well, to prepare for the spring season. Well, well, yeah, but to do that, a large part of it is the development of these players. And I actually think there's a ton of merit in development of having players compete against players that they won't see in the dual season. And I think you want kind of, those matchups across these levels of the fall season to to get better and then the last point i'll make is that you know i think so that helps player player development then the last point is that if we want college tennis to be a pathway to the pros we need to maintain some tournament structures throughout the year otherwise we throw them into the pro tournaments and they're they're not playing the pro tournaments and actually on one of your earlier podcasts, I think it was with Mike Cation, made the, the point like in college, you got to be good for like two days a week, right? On the on the pros, you got to be good day in, day out. And so I think having that main, and maintaining that tournament structure is important for players who want to make the jump to pros. Yeah. And this is the topic I think I sound off on most within the interviews, just because I have to offer some opinion to get into the question. Um that said, my last thing before we move on to our next one here, what do you think of the golfy fall season? Um, well, I, I just think we're—I just think it's solved for in this move the NCAA is in in the fall, right? And sure. you have a you know you have a, a discrete fall season and you have a spring season. 
Um, so I think in his example, right, and we're already a unique sport and it's basically year round. So in his example, I think we will probably end up with just really no spring season, right? Which that's, that's a thought. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm on board with the, with the fall and the spring. I love, or the individuals in the fall, I think it, it makes it just, you know, much gives it much more purpose of what it doesn't have today. And I love your idea about the U S open. I think logistically from an NCAA standpoint, not feasible. Mm-hmm. Why not have, you know, call it an NCAA qualifying event at the U S open. Right. And actually create Ooh. a full like tournament calendar leading up to the NCAAs of which the kickoff, if you will, is at U S open. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could still leverage that point on the calendar. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm all in on the, the fall uh, individuals. That might be the one agenda item I emphasize the most where I'm like, please, let's get an NCAA event back at the U.S. Open. Like, I don't care that the U.S. American Collegiate Invite didn't pop its first year. We abandoned it too soon. Let's get yep. back to finding some sort of college tennis at the Open. Absolutely. But all right, with that said, you bring up the fall and, again, the idea of not typecasting players, letting them play outside of their line. Uh, let's go to all this lineups next. Fan or not a fan? <laughs> Not a fan at all. Absolutely <laughs> not. Uh, no. The appeal for me of these matches is so much about the marquee matchups, right? It's, you know, when we watch Kentucky play this season, we want to see Draxel versus Rodriguez. Anything else is going to be a bummer. Um, we're also, I think it's going to lead to a ton of blowouts. Uh, and I just don't think that's a fun fan experience. So, I think right now, in terms of the lineup strength, I know there's chicanery, probably can be fixed at least a little bit with incorporating the UTR, incorporating the rankings. I mean, if you take my idea of incorporating the UTR into the rankings, well, guess what? Your lineups are by some combination of ITA and UTR, or maybe eventually just UTR, and then you're. I think you're you ensure seeing the best matchups. Andy Jackson is a big fan of incorporating the UTR. We got into that today, and that's Good. something, again, I've started to incorporate more in the back half of these interviews. Yeah, look, I like to throw ideas out. Do, am <laughs> I the biggest believer in lawless lineups? It doesn't really matter to me. Roll the balls out. Let them play. I don't care who plays where. That's why I suggested 500 rule. Intr- obviously, we're getting the power five perspective. Curious <laughs> from the fan perspective where you are on that. Yeah, it was a great question. That was trying the, the angle I tried to take here. It adds zero fan value, right? Like, as a fan, no one cares. If you're good, you're good. And the only fans who would care about keeping the 500 rule are fans of non-Power 5 teams. But guess what? When they schedule against Power 5 teams, they're traveling to the Power 5 team. And so you don't get to watch those matches anyway. So there's zero benefit on the fan side I, and i get this one's hard it's an ncaa rule in other sports but and non-power five schools like you don't want drake getting screwed out at the expense of arkansas maybe you do like that's the question yeah so i and i think that's the that's the sentiment behind the rule right sure. is you like and so i mean i think and that's be a better. valuable sentiment is why when we're talking about get removing yes. it it's just let's talk you know i want to present both it's like let's be clear that's why it's there and yeah. there are subsections of the fan base you know not everyone's a michigan fan not everyone's of a virginia fan hopefully there are plenty of i'm sorry to keep beating this bush but drake fans middle tennessee fans and even yeah. perhaps a tier lower than them of program fans who need that 500 rule well they need it for scheduling 
right? Yeah. And, and so, or just schedule the big boys. Yeah, exactly. So I would argue is what I would rather see is like, you know, you have 25 dates. Three of them need to be against non-Power 5 teams. Yeah. Right? Um, that I like. Now we're talking. That would be my, my suggestion. Because I, I agree. I, I You want to see uh, these teams match up. If te- those teams are going to get better, they need to see the big boys, big girls. And the 500 rule is this like wonky way to get at it. Just carve out three dates. I don't know. Th- three is not the number. Some number. Yeah, whatever that number. No, and, and let's yeah. be clear. The UCFs of the world, Tulsa's of the world, Tulane's of the world, Middle Tennessee's of the world, they're all playing good enough schedules to get into the NCAA tournament on their merit. Like yeah. some of the best non-Power 5 schools have already taken that route. That just would have to be the uh, uniformly the route. And the question is, again, that's an NCAA thing, not an ITA thing. That's where some of the issue comes in. Ditto, by the way, with like the eight-hour rule and the 25 competitive dates, although it is fascinating to hear every coach to a T has said, yes, I have to turn players down. Like that every Power 5 coach has said it, Jay, that's been notable. It was interesting. When I first started listening to these, I was thinking, I wonder if this will persist to programs who maybe don't have as many players with pro aspirations yeah. right because what i was saying i was like well yeah of course like you're all coaching players pros. who want to be pros yeah, exactly. and so they're like what do you mean i can't hit for you know you think about you know players who actually don't want to be playing tennis over uh the holidays or, or things like that and that that does exist uh at some of these levels so i think that's the hard part is right these rules are designed uh, you know, across the board rather than being um, bespoke for for <laughs> tennis as a sport or even for like D1 or things like that. So that's one of the challenges. Yeah. All right. Well, with that in mind, now we get into the format questions and this is where things get particularly funky. Let's just start no ad versus ad scoring. I mean, you kind of referenced it. No ad's grown on you. Oh, you're right. We've yeah. already beaten that one to bu- the bush. I, th- I think we No can- ad, no problem. We've moved on. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, I love no ad. If they wanted to start playing it at 250s on the ATP and WTA level, I would be one of the rare proponents. I, you'll get screamed out of the room for suggesting that. But, like, you can't tell me the college tennis product. So, again, let's go through the national champions since they implemented no ad scoring. Is there a single national championship you turn to where you think no ad made a difference? Like, I would say no. Now, maybe in the run-up to the finals, but, like, Wake Forest was the best team in 2018. Virginia was the best team uh, 17. Texas yeah. 2019 was fascinating, but that was a wild, wild west tournament no matter what. And in the end, the veterans won. Now, that could be a byproduct of no ad scoring, but that tournament was always open from the start. Obviously, last year, Florida, I think we all agree, they were the best team. Like, they played Baylor, who was also the best team. I know that's just the men, but, like, Stanford's really freaking good, ad or no ad scoring. So, yeah, yeah. I think we put that one to rest. Yeah. We could put it to rest. Yeah, you have nothing. I heard something was about well, to Well, I was going to – I mean, I, I got into this on Twitter back when, the, like, the next-gen finals were happening. I'm like, they're still playing, like, 150, 200 oh, points, right? Like, we're not talking about one-point winner-take-all. Like, these things – It's not playing a super a lot breaker of to 10. Yeah, right. Like, they're playing tennis. a lot of tennis. Uh, so, no, it, you know, it no. It doesn't, it doesn't drastically impact the outcome. And I think the reality is, is – like it just it, it moves the game at least in college tennis right it moves the game so much quicker it keeps the pace i think which is a general theme that you've been discussing here is just how do you keep play moving um so overall i think it's fit well um the one thing is like the women should not play let's right we should get yeah. parity there and then i'll be happy i love david gertler crack rackets contributor to death 
the one thing that frustrates me the most when discussing tennis with him when we talk about a subject like this is he's just like it's just like well the physicality is compromised it's like no it's not why like right. you're talking about two points at the on the margins like oh no they went to a third deuce like that happens twice a match three times like a match instead you're getting guaranteed these sudden death points 40 15 becomes that much more that valuable. much more pressure packed yep yeah and it's just like sometimes yeah. i just i want to slap him where i'm just like david 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 well and I, I mean yeah. I, I say this to his face so i don't yeah. mind saying it here i just had no idea people liked tennis for the scoring format and not that's for the <laughs> not for the actual athleticism it's and like, skill that that's oh. required um that I was like that. I, I just can't really wrap my head around. But um, as anyways. you say, in my culture, Dainu. All right. With that said, let's get into these format changes. Yep. Doubles after singles. I'll start with before we get simultaneous and funky thoughts. Yeah. So you know this one. And is it a- used to be this for the record many moons ago. Yeah. Uh, well, what's interesting is like a lot of this stuff has been tried, right? Yeah. Um. I mean, I think the thing here is you're basically deciding to backload and potentially heighten the drama versus guaranteeing the action right away. And to your to your point that you've said on these pods, like best 40 minutes in tennis is the doubles point. I don't know if you want to take the risk of putting doubles at the end of that and, and, and make that risk. Yes, you would create a more linear buildup of drama, right? We would start singles slow, it would build up, and then we'd have this kind of um, kind of grand finale of a doubles point. But I don't know if that, you know, tension is worth sacrificing for the guaranteed action right away. Yeah, it's a fascinating thought. And you're right. It's, to me, it's just, again, it's is it a TV format compromise where you're just like, Hey, you know, again, we're we're only doing these extra forty minutes, but it's going to be the most exciting forty minutes of the match. Like mm-hmm. that, to me, is why you would do it. Then, the problem is, you're right. Like nothing, nothing is more captivating than that right. opening devil's point, and that's where I suppose we get to simultaneous start. I do think, and I said this to Chris and Matt today on the Great Shot podcast we recorded as part of the College Contender series that all of you listeners will be able to hear. I think either Friday or early next week. I think this is the future for college tennis. Like, I think if I'm going to stake my corner on a take, it's that college tennis, unfortunately, will, I think, have simultaneous start. Well, I don't want to say unfortunately or fortunately, depending on the opinion. Why I say unfortunately, someone made the point that you don't want to let college tennis start taking stuff away or the NCAA because if they take away two singles matches, they take away two doubles flights, they're not giving them back. Like, that's just once those things go away, they go away, and it's a slippery slope where we're compromising the sport for the sake of making it commercial. Is that something we mm-hmm. really want to do? That was an appealing thought. I also love the idea. I love the format as is. I want as much college tennis as possible. We get nine courts of college tennis throughout a college tennis match. That's outstanding. Yep. Of course, I also think about the commercial viability, though, of the sport and how to grow it best. And the 10-minute pause— and the first 30 minutes of singles for the non-hardcore fans. Hardcore fans, of course, love the first 20 minutes. We love every aspect of college tennis. But one coach framed it as you are creating a permission structure for fans to leave when you create a gap like that in importance. And I thought that was excellent framing. And I do think it's a concern. And I just see simultaneous start in the future. Like, I do. Yeah. Uh, that's a really interesting way of framing it, like the permission structure for them to leave. Because... Yeah, I would leave too, right? If you have yeah. kids and you know you have things to do, that's... we got enough. We celebrated. They won doubles. This exactly. was great. Right? Exactly. We got all we needed, and that's where I struggle Act with one, doing doubles. Complete. 
Yeah, exactly. d- doing doubles last. Well, then that family comes, and if they have an hour to spend, well, they just see kind of first sets of singles, and it's like, oh. Sure. Um, so I, I'm, I'm open to you know the the simultaneous starts. I have a clarifying question for you though. When you okay. talk about doubles finishing and then moving to singles you know we... it's, i'm so happy no one has asked me this because i keep waiting for someone to ask me do you mean two out of three sets in doubles pro yep. set in doubles one set in doubles i'd be like nice don't ask me so i don't <laughs> um i mean either way you assume it finishes first right even two out of three sets in doubles probably done before singles is over or there's at least one match or two where things are still hanging around you probably do a pro set to eight would be my answer. Okay. The, well, the reason I ask is because it impacts the whole substitutions that you go into next, right? Like how early is this doubles finishing? Um, and I think it also, de- like, I'm just trying to picture, right? Like where's the attention when we all start, right? Do we all kind of watch that one or two doubles matches and then we all go and watch singles? Are we kind of like tracking them all? Um, but overall, I mean, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I, I think optimizing for a linear progression of the match, um, that right now we have kind of the, just that gap that you mentioned, right? We start hot and we slow down and then we build up again. Um, and so ultimately I think it makes sense. I would like to see more of the, like, you can't use the same people in doubles more than once. Like I'd like to see more of that strategy element that's come through a few times in the coaches interviews. That'd be super interesting. Um, but Do you overall, like cumulative scoring? That one was very interesting. I was uh, like, Brad, you've struck gold. Yeah. I was like, I have not thought about that. It's really interesting. I, that one does feel a little bit like we're deviating from just like tennis, tennis. Um, which, you know, I get, which has merits, but that one was like, that's, that's a, a step that's far. Um, yeah, it it's in the framework of a two out of three set match, but yeah, it's it's a lot. Like it's definitely would be it's it's like club it's uh it's world team tennis. Sorry, club tennis, but we do the same. Yeah, it, I mean it, it does solve for that. Like you know the two one hold or the two one break. Like does it matter? No, now it does. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean I'm I'm in on the the four one two three. Um, I think it could be really would, interesting. Would you go simultaneous or cumulative first? simultaneous first i need to see cumulative play out but i'm intrigued i was very that might be the 20 year idea yeah i think simultaneous is the 10 year i just i have this feeling i yeah i agree with that yeah but all right with that said last two for you substitutions yay nay so i'm you know i feel strongly on this (laughs) one so we think about substitutions very differently but i'm a strong yay as well um I've always thought that one of the silliest things in these team matches is if someone were to get injured, they just retire and lose the match in a Mm -hmm. team format. Mm -hmm. Like that makes no sense. You have all of these players on the bench, like bring someone in. Right. So (laughs) I I love your idea of like the closer. And, but I think the, the much more realistic is like someone gets hurt, right? Someone rolls their ankle and rather than losing the match, you can sub someone in, um, so I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I would probably cap it, right, one per team. Um, and I think it should be, rather than someone who played, I think it should be someone from the bench. Because I think, in theory, it should be like, this is not someone that was in our top six. And this is, you know, uh, 
in theory a disadvantage for us to have to do this um so but yeah i mean i think it makes sense i think like if none of these other format changes like please just implement a substitution for like the injuries yes you'd have people like game it but like that's why i think you have to make it be someone that like in theory shouldn't be able to win the match anyway yeah it's got to be someone from the bench exactly yeah i think my thoughts on substitutions are clear so i'll move to the final one the timeout are you in I think this is the one that's going to get implemented. This is the one. I, this is the one that I find to be your most ironic take. I know. <laughs> as someone you just who get me, as someone who laments this five-minute delay between doubles and singles, and it turns into ten, and maybe there's pizza. Why we are advocating for a further delay in play does not make any sense to me. So. So sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, yeah, I was gonna say we already have timeouts in college tennis. We have changeovers. We have set breaks. We have bathroom breaks. We have medical timeouts. <laughs> there are three coaches for six courts. There is plenty of time for these coaches to go to a player who needs a timeout and say, "Get your shit together," right? Yeah. The it's worst. Fair. I, I remember. I think it. I don't want to call any team out, but there was a team at the NCAA's. Um, North Carolina, um, that took like three or four medical timeouts all at the exact same time. And as a fan, you're like, this this sucks. Like we were in the match. This is like a six minute break and it's the worst lull. And so I think the only argument for these timeouts is like, does it increase momentum shifts, which are like the fun part of these matches? Maybe, maybe not. Um, so I'm, I am a, I'm a hard no on the timeouts. I think there's plenty of, if anything, we should be shortening the opportunities for a lull and break, a lull in action. It's true. Here's why I would like a timeout. A, from a fan perspective, things can get chaotic. A timeout, you reset, you focus. Okay, these are the courts I need to watch. B, let's get amped up as fans. This is a timeout that's not disrupting anyone. Let's get behind the guys. Let's let them know we're here or the girls and obviously just assert ourselves as a fan base. I think a strategic timeout does that. I also think strategic timeouts, more chicanery. I'm always in favor of that, and I think it offers that opportunity. But again— I just like throwing every so often. I know I'm going to get a lot of no's. I know every coach would say yes to a timeout. So you got to throw in some red meat. <laughs> some uh, red for meat them for them. To, sure. Yeah, for them to enjoy. But all right. With all of that said, this was a fantastic podcast. <laughs> this was thoroughly enjoyable. Jay, any final thoughts? No, I'm like, I'm loving the, the movement you're starting here. Um, I think the creativity is awesome. Um, it's exciting just to, to talk about this stuff, right? I mean, uh, there's a groundswell. I'm feeling it. So um if people haven't checked out the coaches interviews definitely do uh you can just start with the ones that i mentioned as the the top three you can start there get a lay of the land um but yeah really excited to continue listening uh, there's so many more to go so uh looking forward to that i challenge anyone and this is a free plug but it's minute 106 so you've earned it Go listen to Arkansas women's tennis head coach Christina Sanchez Quintanar and tell me you're not buying all of the Arkansas women's tennis stock. Like, I swear to God, Jay, they will be top 10 unless a top 10 program swoops her from Arkansas before, like, the next 40 years are done. Like, I, I'm i so certain. that yeah. I, don't, I, like, I don't know why, but I just like, – I was like, oh, I know. Like, I just, again – just a nugget like that. And you can hear that from a bunch of different coaches I believe in. But, like, I'm just saying that's what's been so fun about this process is learning things like that. So, yeah, yeah as you mentioned, all of them available. 
CrackedRackets.com, Cracked Interviews Podcast. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, that show, the Mini Break Podcast, or Cracked Rackets YouTube channels to, to ensure that you don't miss any of our off-season content. We've had some fantastic guests. Ben Rothenberg, Nina Pantic, David Gertler, Chris Alioris, Matt Sikowiak, John Parsons. We're trying to cover this sport from each and every angle, ensure you remain the most well-informed, best-educated fans in the business. Again, all of that content available on our website, CrackedRackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly at Great Shot Pod. You want to message him directly at J Tweets Tennis, of course. A shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he does day in, day out. With all of that said, for my fantastic co host, John Parsons, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.